providence of God in the proclamation of the gospel. And what we will see is that Peter, the Jewish apostle, will meet Cornelius. He will preach to him the good news. His family will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is something to celebrate. That is something to celebrate. We begin in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. And so last week, I showed you a map of uh, where Peter was. He had gone from Lydda down to Joppa. And if you see the map up here, if you just go up a little bit, you see Caesarea right there. And that is where Cornelius is. If you go down and you look down in Joppa, that's where Peter is. It is good to get that context of how God is working in the lives of these two men. If we carry on, we see in verse two of chapter 10, that Cornelius is a devout man who feared God with all his household And he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. That this man, Cornelius, was in his profession a hardworking official of the Roman military. Centurions commanded units, as their name tells us, of 80 to 100 men. And unlike the aristocrats of the day, these are hardworking men who had to work their way up into the top of their position. It also says that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And so what you see is a gentleman here who in his profession is of the highest rank and is out there by hard work. And in his devotion, you see his attitude and his actions. His attitude is one that he fears God so much so that it rubs off on all his household. And his actions is that he gives alms generously, much like we learned last week of Tabitha. He gave his money, he gave his treasure, and that he prayed continually to God. He gave of his time. This man is not a believer yet in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we learn a couple things from this. Uh, Yes, God does hear the prayers of some pagans. I won't say all. And morals matter. Uh, if, if you were going to learn something from this chapter, learn it right here from an unbeliever. This is a devout man. In his attitude, he fears God and in his actions reflect that. And so at about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And so at the ninth hour of the day, it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. This man is probably following the the pattern of Jewish prayers. He's sensitive to the work of God. And an angel shows up and says, Cornelius. Now, I didn't have time to put in any photos of angels, but trust me, or you can check it out yourself, do your homework. That the world, when you type in image of angel in Google, you get cute little two-year-old girls with wings. That's probably not what terrified him. Verse four. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? No, you actually have to dig a little bit and have to tell Google more than that, because the world believes an angel looks like a chubby little nude that we put on the mantle. But if you read the scriptures and you encounter angels, most every time you encounter an angel, 
People are falling down in fear. And this angel says to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. The point is God knows Cornelius's heart and Cornelius receives instruction and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him, he departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier. I'm wondering in this, when he calls a devout soldier, if that's someone similar to him. You see, Cornelius was devout, not, an unbe- not a believer, but he was seeking the Lord. And so he calls his servants and a devout believer from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so Cornelius is obedient to the leading of God. Remember, this is an unbeliever. And here's my first point. I want you to see from the text, God works in the unbeliever. God is the one at work in the unbeliever. He is the one through the uh, intermissary of an angel of this man who was reading his Bible. He was praying. He had feared God. God is the one who is at work in his heart. This is not because Cornelius woke up one morning and he said, I am going to pursue God. It is God who is at work on his heart. And so the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And so some say it's about 9 a.m. Peter too's following the Jewish model. Like in Daniel 6, Psalm 55, three times a day, the devout would get away and pray. And I love this next verse in verse 10. He went up on the housetop to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And it says, but while they were preparing it, so he's up on the rooftop, he becomes hungry. He pauses his prayers and he goes and he says, Hey, will you prepare a meal? And so while they're preparing it, he fell into a trance. He was hungry. His belly was yearning out for him to fill it. Yet he went and he continued to pray and he falls into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending. Just to put this in modern times, this is a big, gigantic picnic basket. And in it, verse 12, were all kinds of animals. And Luke saw fit to tell us at least two kinds, reptiles and birds of the air. Now, when I was reading this, I could think of nothing other than this is a wild game buffet. There's another reference to food. I have it right there in the scripture. This is like going to the gas house and having access to elk and alligator. And that once a year we go because it's 50% off and you can get that kind of stuff. It's very petrine to do so. No, there's a bigger point here. There's a bigger reason for this going on. Now watch this in verse 13. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, by no means, Lord, by no means, Lord, he knows his master's voice. Notice he didn't have to, like Paul, who is this? Peter knew who it was. He said, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I love Peter. I really do. Every, every, I literally, every time I read the gospels and I come across Peter, I'm reminded of myself. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, thank you, Lord. I don't think you know how good I am. By no means, Lord, he talks back to his Lord. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made, do not call common. And this happened three times, three times. I almost held up two threes. That would have been six, three times. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I'm, I'm following the holy law. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Lord, you just don't understand. I'm a, I mean, I'm trying to live a holy and righteous life here. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Yes, the sheep know his voice, but sometimes they can be stubborn as mules. Three times God had to communicate this because he wanted Peter to get it right. And then this picnic basket was taken to heaven. And so you have God who is at work in the unbeliever. Cornelius, this is what I want you to do. And you have God who is at work in the believer. Peter, this is what I want you to do. And so what we need to learn from this in the case of Peter, is sometimes God asks us to do these things that we may not fully understand, but we do them because God has said for us to do them. For us, we have it written in his word and we may not fully understand always why something is written in his word, but we can rest assured if it's in this word, it is absolutely true. It is without error. And when God calls us to do something, we are to do it. And now watch what takes place. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, he's thinking about this. He, he doesn't, he hasn't yet made the connection, but he will. The men who were sent by Cornelius, the two servants and the devout soldier, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. There were two Simons there. So is Simon Peter here? You're Simon the Tanner. Is Simon Peter here? And so in verse 19, while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, there are men looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Two times we see what Peter is doing. He's inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he was given. And he's pondering the vision. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, Think on these things, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. He said, Think on these things, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. And so he, Peter, invited them to be his guests. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers of Joppa accompanied him. He waited a whole night hospitality is huge. Peter was not in a hurry. He invited these men in. He made them feel welcome. And all the while, God is at work. God is at work in the unbeliever. God is at work in the believer. God works on the encounter. God is setting this whole thing up. I hope you are seeing who the hero of this story is. Verse 24, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had to call together his relatives and his close friends. Might I just stop there for one second? Cornelius, this is an unbeliever at this point, is expecting to hear great things about God through God's missionary. Do we come expecting to hear great things from God's word? Cornelius, this whole time, is in a sense, I won't say a foil, but he is an example, even as an unbeliever, of how one should act. He is devout and he is expecting. Do we come here on Sundays expecting to hear from God? Do we invite our friends together and our relatives saying, you've got to come hear what the scriptures say? And so when Peter enters in, Cornelius meets him and he falls down at his feet and he worships him. He's starstruck. This is Peter. This is a celebrity pastor. And he falls down on his feet and it says he worship him. He, he's thinking, oh my, this is the closest I'll ever get to God. He's starstruck. It's like the other day, my wife went to have a coffee with someone at Yeti's and she thought she saw Sean White. She came home and it was, it was Sean White and Sean White. And I Googled, and I, is Sean White even in here? And he wasn't. It was a lookalike. He must have sent a lookalike. I'm sorry, baby. I was ready to go get my kids in their snowboards. Sign this. But watch Peter's answer. And this is good. I'm now preaching to myself and those of you who want to be in the pastorate. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. Stand up. Do not worship me. Do not fall at my feet. I too am a man. What happens so often with celebrity pastors is they get too big for their britches and they start believing their own press. Howard Hendricks of Dallas Seminary said to us at one time, never believe your press, good or bad. 
I can't imitate his voice. If I could, I would. But he, he did it in class the first day we were there. He brought up a bucket of water. He brought up a f- fellow student. And he had the student put his hand in a bucket of water and remove his hand. He said, what kind of hole did that leave? And the student got it. And he said, that's how important you are to the kingdom of God. God can use anybody. And so Peter does right here. Peter does right, though he argues with God, he does right in this instance and says, stand up. I too am a man. You don't worship men. We don't, we can hold in high esteem those who have gone before us, those whom we've learned from, but we do not worship them. I am afraid in some churches around the country, uh, the man has become more important than the message. Verse 27, and he talked with him and he went and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter had learned the lesson. Peter had learned the lesson. It is not so much about eating wild game. It was about associating with those whom Peter perceived to be unclean. My friends, beloved, if you are here today and you never hang out with certain people because you've determined them to be unclean, learn the lesson that Peter learned. Rise and go and get next to them. Share the message of salvation with them. I don't ever want to hear, I'm never getting around said person. Fill in the blank. Don't ever, I don't ever want to hear, well, I'm, I'm too holy to get next to them. No, you're not. They need to hear the good news. And so Peter says in verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. You have to pause there. Right there, when I was sent for, I came without objection. He came without objection to the men who had sent him, right? But there had been three times he had objected. He had to learn the lesson three times. Peter is is somewhat thick upstairs, and, and I get it. And so he asked them the question. I asked them, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. There is your description, further description of an angel, not a cute little girl. And little girls who are dressed as angels are cute. Don't, don't hear anything against that. But this is a man in bright clothing who was so uh, gloriously dressed. It drove terror into him. And he said to Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your arms have have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. God is at work in the unbeliever. God is at work in the believer. God is at work to set up the encounter. God is at work on the hearts of those who 
would hear. God works to prepare hearts. Do you know that God is at work right now? I guarantee you he's at work today in the life of somebody that lives right over there. He's at work on their heart. He is at work on their heart. People that live on there over there, he's at work on their heart. People who live down that way in the GYP, he's at work in their heart. God is at work on the hearts of those who will hear. Thank you. Evangelism, I hope you're getting freed and feel encouraged. Evangelism is not necessarily your work. God is at work. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He began the good work. He will complete it. It is God who is at work. That is the providence of God. And now you're going to see Peter. In verse 34 through 43, proclaim the gospel. We are going to see the proclamation of the good news and the results of such proclamation. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The gospel goes to all without partiality. And in verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea in the beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John that he proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. There you get the life of Jesus Christ, 36 through 38. Now you get the death of Jesus Christ, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. It is a very simple message that Peter took. It is a very simple message that we take. We do not need to complicate the message. What we do not need to do either is get caught up in all the secondary discussions of all the smokescreen questions of everything that everybody wants to ask about the gospel. Should we be prepared to answer those things? Absolutely. Amen. But we need to go and speak of Jesus. And he lived a perfect life and it died a substitutionary death. Yes, but I don't believe the Bible to be true. For the sake of today's conversation, will you give me the benefit of the doubt that the Bible's true? May I continue on with what I'm saying? Yeah, but I, I, I don't believe my God would, would say that so-and-so couldn't get married. That is a great issue that we'll touch here in, in just a minute. But let's talk about Jesus. Well, it wasn't Jesus just a good man. Let's just hear about Jesus. He, he lived a life. The Spirit's power was upon him. He was doing healings. He was making himself out to be God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And they put him to death on a cross. 
And God, it says in verse 40, raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people. Now catch this. Not to all the people, but to those of us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Just merely present the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's a simple gospel presentation. Now, this is something I wouldn't talk about with someone who is an unbeliever. I wouldn't say those of us who've been chosen by God, I wouldn't lead with that. I'd talk about it if they wanted to. But did you see that Luke just used election and evangelism in the same sentence? What? Did he just use election, like chosen by God and evangelism that we're to go out and share the gospel in the same sentence? That's like jumbo shrimp. No, that's biblical theology. In the providence of God, God is at work on the unbeliever. God is at work on the believer. God is at work on the encounter. And God is at work on the hearts of those who would hear. And we are to take the gospel and go to all without impartiality. We're not to go, well, I'm going to go share the gospel over here to these people because they seem cleaner than these people over here. And we are to go and share the message of Jesus Christ, the man, the God man who came in history. And he commanded, verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Yes, Jesus Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead. There are consequences for unbelief, and that needs to be shared in a gospel presentation. Notice it is spread through the verbal proclamation. Other forms are necessary. Um, People will argue about being an evangelist on Facebook, I, I hear you. Praise the Lord if you're doing it from a good motive and with clear presentation of the biblical gospel. But God has so designed it that he wants people to hear our voices. Our mouths are very uh, meaningful and essential to the message. And we are to go to him all the prophets bear witness, the whole entire Old Testament's bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the good news. I, I could never follow Jesus. He, he is, um, he's a good, he's, I, I recognize he's not just a good man. He is God, but he could never forgive the sin of, that I did. And they list him and you said, your sin is not greater than God's love. Yeah, but but I've, I've done so much and I've been so far gone. God can, it's not about how far you've gone. It's about how far God's gone. And I love this next verse, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. The Holy Spirit didn't even give chance for Peter to like end his sermon, to, to land the plane. I mean, can you imagine Peter's just waxing eloquent? He's like, well, could you, I mean, he's done it before God, come on. I mean, I'm almost done. I've got this great illustration. I was working on it all week. We're going to, that's not what happened. The spirit was ready and these hearts were ready and the spirit went to work. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? 
because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. They were amazed because the same God who is at work in them in Jerusalem is now at work in Caesarea. They are amazed because they're hearing speaking in their own tongues. Tongues are mentioned three times in the book of Acts, chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19. They are mentioned for a specific purpose. So you want a biblical theology on tongues? This is it. Chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19. Tongues were given as a sign to the unbeliever that the gospel that went out was the same to all people. That is the reason we have tongues in the scripture. It is not so I can have my personal private prayer language and and somehow God works better with me when I mumble. That is not it. Read 1 Corinthians 14. He wants us to use not only our words, but our minds. That's another sermon for another day. But in the book of Acts, it is mentioned three times. Here, when, when all those who had been scattered came into Jerusalem, they were all praising God in known languages. People were saying, this God is not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of the Gentiles also. And you'll see it with Paul as he goes to the ends of the earth. When we start dividing the church between those who can quote speak in tongues and those who can't, we harm the church. We create disunity in the church. My sweet grandmother was a Pentecostal. I had been in seminary maybe a year. I don't, I don't remember the exact date. And she was in a, home. She was fading. She was still faithful. She read, she read her Bible and she watched the St. Louis Cardinals. That's just what she did. And she said, Judd, I I could never. And she said it kind of dejected. I could just never speak in tongues. And I told her, yeah, you, you were just, I'm so sorry. You just missed out. I didn't say that. <laughs> I looked right at her. Here's a lady. She probably prayed for me. She, the only thing she ever did that was questionable is she called me Hamps, handsome Samson. And I was just like, that's just book of judges. That's just weird. Um, but she prayed faithfully and she said, I could never speak in tongues. And I had to tell her after years, after years, you're okay. You're okay. You don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to speak in tongues. Tongues were given as a sign, as you see here, to show that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit had been poured out on It says it right there. It says it in the text. That's what I'm sticking with. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Here's that important identification of a Christian right after they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, hey, let's get a tub. Let's do this. And in verse 48, And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they asked him to remain for some days. 
And so that's the story. Acts chapter 10. God is at work. What, what do we learn from this chapter? You see the providence of God at work. God works in the unbeliever. God is at work right now, my friends, and, and he's at work in you. God is at work in the believer. God is at work on the encounter. He is setting up things. Do I believe that we are just little robots and automatons and we just walk around and we do? No, but God is in absolute sovereign control of the entire word, the beginning and end. Read Isaiah 46 over and over until it gets drilled in your head. Not one thing happens in this world apart from God. He's at work in the unbeliever, in the believer, in the encounter, and he's at work on the hearts of those who will hear. And we are to proclaim the gospel. We are to proclaim the gospel to all without impartiality. Concerning the Christ of history, the world needs to know that Jesus Christ, that God came and lived. He was born at Christmas and he lived a life for 33 years and he died and he rose again. And that's why we celebrate Easter. He is a real person in history. And we need to preach the word. We need to take this word right here and we need to proclaim it to people. And we need to tell them that Jesus Christ comes to forgive them of their sins. Oh, but I'm not a sinner. Have you ever lied? Well, I mean, come on. What does that make you? A liar. Have you ever stolen anything? That makes you a thief. I actually had to tell my kids the other day, we we were somewhere, believe it or not, There was a time in my life I actually stole a package of gum. I did. I know. It's hard to imagine. But I was teaching them. My father took me back in the store and we returned that pack of gum. He said, this is not right. But the fact is I stole it and I'm a thief. And I deserve hell. But I received forgiveness by faith in his name and the power of the spirit to be identified as one body. They got baptized right then because they wanted them to see what went on Jerusalem is now happening in the uttermost parts of the earth. And so I end with two questions and a challenge. Here are the questions. Where is God at work in your circle of influence? I don't take the stance if you've ever read it, I apologize that I'm not championing it, but uh, experiencing God where bless Henry Blackaby's heart said, well, if God's not at work, you need to go somewhere where he is. God is always at work everywhere. And the second is a little more convicting. Are you too clean to get to next to those who need to hear? Are you too clean to get next to those who need to hear? So what do we do? I began with he who began the good work. God is the one at work. I'll end with it. Knowing God is the one at work. Love the world enough to share with them the truth. And that means you need to get next to them. They may not be like you. They may attack you. They may make fun of you. But your love for them 
more important than their view of you, their reaction to the gospel. Knowing God is at work, that should empower us. That should encourage us. God is the one at work. Love the world enough to share with them the truth. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that we would, not really we, but you would open our eyes to show us where you're at work around us that we would never be too clean to get next to those who need to hear the good news of Jesus, and that we would boldly and clearly present the gospel, and that we would pray for you to work through our message, and that lives would be changed Families would be changed. Entire cities would be transformed. God, renew in our hearts today the power in the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray these things in his name. Amen.